All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. We're going to be continuing our message this morning on knowing the Holy Spirit. I believe we're in week five on this. Anyway, um, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, you can also uh, get our previous uh, messages on the series on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. Anyway, uh, we also invite you to join us tonight for our Bible study on the true nature of God. We're about ready to wrap that one up. And then we'll be doing a new Bible study on Sunday nights on effortless change, which has a lot to do with being in the Word of God. It's a lot to do with the parable of the sower. At the same point in time, uh, we, we look forward to uh, uh, for you to join us on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Uh, we continue to talk about the Holy Spirit. And so we're talking about the Holy Spirit on both Sundays and Wednesday nights right now. But uh, Sunday, uh, Sunday mornings, we're specifically talking about knowing the Holy Spirit, having a whole relationship with the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Excuse me. Before I go further into that, uh, I also want to invite you to uh, you can partner with us with your tithes and offerings if you if you like to at our, our website lighthousecipleship.org. Go to our give page and you can just follow the prompts there. Anyway, without further ado, let's go ahead and get to our message this morning. For Again, we're talking about knowing the Holy Spirit. We're talking about having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And one of my key verses I've been using in this series so far, it comes from Second uh, Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. It's the very last verse of Paul's second letter to the, the Corinthians. And he says that this in the New King James, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And hopefully I can get it on the screen this morning. I haven't been able to the last two weeks. But from the message translation, hey, we got a winner. It says it this way, and I don't normally speak from the message translation, but I do like in this context, the amazing grace of the Master Jesus Christ the extravagant love of God and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is just one context, but there are other contexts we can we and we have talked about them in previous weeks where Paul is and, and the apostles by that matter. Not only Paul, Paul but Jesus, the apostles, uh, uh, encourage us to uh, have a relationship with. The full Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we talk a lot about in this church and we, uh, about God's ama the amazing grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We talk a lot about the extravagant love of the Father. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. We haven't talked a lot, though, about knowing the Holy Spirit, and specifically, uh, uh, to piggyback on this verse, to have an intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our friend. Yes, Jesus is our friend. Yes, our, the Father calls us friends. Uh, but the Holy Spirit is too. And I believe we need to have an intimate relationship, our friendship with the full Godhead, with all the members of, 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 of the Holy Spirit, I mean, of the Godhead. And specifically, in this context, in this series, we're talking about an intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit. 
This week, though, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to emphasize on, I want to get into talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we're talking about a relationship with the Holy Spirit, but I do want to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So what I, but, but, but in prerequisite to that, I want to talk about there's actually three different baptisms in the New Testament. There's actually multiple baptisms mentioned throughout Scripture uh, in the Old Testament and New Testament. But there's three specific ones in the New Testament, and I want to highlight those two. So I want to highlight the first two, the other two first, and then uh, go into talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, this week, and then also into next week we're going to be talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is that okay with you? So either whether or not, that's what we're doing. So <laughs> so anyway, here we are. Um, so let me just jump this off. Go, uh, go ahead and go with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. And that's where I'm going to use one of the scriptures that introduces these three baptisms. Okay? It doesn't list them, but it re- makes reference to them. Okay? Hebrews chapter 6, we'll go to verse 1. And I'm in the New King James again. So therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Verse 2, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of uh, resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Now I can go on. It is a very awesome context, and I teach regularly from this, uh, usually a little further down in chapter 6. But let's go back real quick. let's, Let's get a little bit of this context here. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles. Elementary. Are some translations call it the foundational principles, or the foundation. How many of you know the foundation of anything is important? The foundation of a house, we're in a house. The foundation of this house is more, is the most important part of this building. You know, yes, 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 electrical, the plumbing's important too. Uh, we'll have problems if those are not working. Yes, we need a good roof. Yes, we need windows and doors and insulation and all that good stuff. And then we need some other things as well. But the foundation is important. If the foundation is not good, the whole thing can crumble. The foundation to any marriage is important. The foundation to any relationship is important. The foundation to any business is important. The foundation is important. And so he says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles. See, the uh, um, principles of Christ. He's not saying that we're going to not talk about them anymore. But once, but he's writing to the Hebrews, he says, once we've laid the foundation, which is Christ, we can build on that foundation, okay? Uh, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary, but at the same point in time, you know, when you go to elementary school, you hopefully graduate elementary school, you might not have a ceremony like you do high school, but you graduate, you get a report card, you get a passing grade, so you can go to junior high or middle school or high school and eventually college and then just life itself. <laughs> but you don't want to stay in elementary school all your life. You want to, you do, you're not going to say, everything I learned in elementary school, I don't want anything to do with it anymore. No, you, you 
based on that foundation, you go to other principles. But you're going to have a hard time in high school and college if you didn't understand elementary principles. If you don't know the basics of math, if you don't know the basics of reading and writing the alphabet and, and basic grammar, you're going to have a very hard time uh, with higher education. And that, and that makes sense? So we're leaving the, the we, we want to, how many know we want to grow? We want to grow naturally, physically. We want to grow emotionally, relationally. Well, none of us, you know, there's some people that have age, but they have never matured. <laughs> we, we, we know people like that. A plant, an insect, an animal, all these things are supposed to mature in age. And, and, and not, I'm not just talking about aging, but as humans, as the body of Christ, and as Christians who are born again, born of Christ, we want to grow from, we want to leave, the, we want to grow, move forward from the elementary teachings. We shouldn't have to keep teaching some of these elementary teachings over and over that we're not establishing. But once we're established in them, it's time to move forward. It's time to grow. Because it let us go on to perfection. That perfection is speaking of maturity. We want to perfect. We want to mature. And that's one of the, my jobs as a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. My job as a pastor is to teach, to equip, to pastor, to shepherd, to, to help people become discipled. A disciple uh, is supposed to become, in many ways, like its teacher. And so my, 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 it's like an apprentice. You, want, you, teach, you, you teach them so they become, become like you. In one sense of the word, I'm supposed to be teaching myself out of a job. So someone else could, in a sense, take over, uh, so to speak. But let's go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation. We don't need to keep laying the foundation over and over again. I'm not saying... <coughs> We don't keep talking about it. I don't keep saying we don't keep re referencing to it because everything stems from that foundation. But at the same point in time, we don't need to lay it again over and over and over again. A real, a, a, and he, what's the foundation? And he, he lists some foundational teachings here. Repentance from dead works. A faith towards God. Of the doctrine of baptisms. It's plural. If he knows that, it's baptisms. It's not baptism, singular. It's baptisms, plural. I'm in Hebrews 6, 2. Of laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. He goes on. But all these things that he's talking about are what the writer of Hebrews calls foundational elementary teachings. Baptisms, plural, the doctrine. Doctrine is a word for teaching. It's a teaching of baptism. It's a doctrine. There, we have some very foundational doctrines in our church. We have some very <coughs> uh, foundational doctrines as Christians. Some of those foundational doctrines have to do with the fact that Jesus died on the cross. And he's our Lord and Savior. Healing is a foundational doctrine in this church. The body of Christ and other things are also foundational teachings in this church. But some of those encompass this, this, this phrase, doctrine of baptisms. Okay, um, And yet some of these things have been, uh, you know, debated. There's some things I can debate with. I, I'm not. 
begins debating in, in the book of Titus and also in the book of Timothy. He, 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 he disagrees with that. At the same point in time, I'm willing to debate to a certain degree on some non-foundational teachings. But there's some foundational teachings that I'm not willing to debate on. I'm not willing to debate whether, whether Jesus uh, died on the cross. I'm not willing to debate whether healing is for the day. I'm not willing to debate on uh, the, the doctrine of baptisms. And we're going to be going over three different baptisms uh, this morning. And I'll list them real quickly for you. But then we'll be going over them specifically. The first one is the baptism into the body of Christ. We're going to spend a little bit of time talking about being baptized into the body of Christ. The second one we're going to talk about is the water baptism. And then the third one we're going to be talking about, which we'll spend some of the day and next week on, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's more of our, our context, what we're talking about. So uh, there's a doctrine of baptism. Multiple, but like I said, and I, I'm not going to teach on these, but there's multiple baptisms throughout Scripture. We have the baptism of Moses. A lot of, a lot of times the Red Sea is referred to as a baptism. Uh, as a type of church actually... I'm not gonna, we don't have to turn to it, but if you go to Acts chapter 7, verse 38, Stephen, just before he's being stoned, is given a message. And one of those, in, in verse 38, he talks about Israel in the wilderness was the church. He calls it the church. And this is Stephen preaching. And so, uh, uh, but anyway, there's a baptism of Moses. There's a baptism of John. Remember John the baptism? A lot of people think that's New Testament. No, the cross didn't happen yet. Anything before the cross is not is Old Testament. Now, we see it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but it's actually before the cross. And we'll, we'll spend a little time with that when we get to water baptisms. But it's the baptism of John. And what was the baptism of John for? It was for preparing for the Messiah. And we'll talk about that a little more in detail a little bit later. But, uh, but there's my point right, I'm making right now, though, there's many baptisms. It's not just one kind of baptism. In the New Testament, we see three different ones, and we're going to go over those. The baptism into the body of Christ, water baptism, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Each baptism is different. It has a different significance. It has a different effect. It has a different meaning. It has a different purpose. It has a different baptizer. It has different elements. We are to be baptized into. You know, the word baptize, baptismo in the Greek, means to emerge, immerse, or emerge into, okay? So again, we're going to be talking about these three different baptisms. So the first one we're going to be talking about this morning is a baptism into the body of Christ. Why am I teaching this? Because I thought we were talking about knowing the Holy Spirit. Yes, we are talking about knowing the Holy Spirit. But I want to talk about the, the uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I also feel like I need to uh, make a distinction between these other two New Testament baptisms. Because if you don't understand these three different baptisms, when we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you don't have a distinction, if you don't have a foundational teaching of the doctrine of baptisms, because there's a doctrine of baptisms, if you don't have this foundation laid, some verses can be confusing. Which baptism is I talking about? And we need to know which baptism is talked about, because otherwise we can get in some weird doctrines or some misconstrued doctrines, uh, because there's the doctrine of baptisms. There's multiple baptisms, so we need to know which one's which. And so, uh, you know, the other day I was uh, uh, putting in a, a, a new doorknob on one of our doors, and uh, I it wasn't scooting. I was going in the hole, 
but it wasn't screwing and it took a little while to figure out I had the wrong screw you know and it looked it was just as long as the other one but it the, 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 the screws on it I don't know what those are called you know threads uh, they were different and so it wasn't gonna work it was the right size it was the right length but it was the wrong screw and it had and, and, you know, it's amazing when I got the right screw, it worked just perfectly. You know, some things, some things just won't work if it's the wrong one. And some things are, sometimes it's important to know the right one. You know, I mean, uh, I can give another illustration. I mean, uh, I'll pick up my wife, because I've done this one before. Uh, I'm not making fun of her, but it is funny. Uh, it's just uh, one time she was making a, a, a pasta dish for us that required garlic, and we like garlic, we like a lot of garlic. But she grabbed the wrong G garlic, uh, wrong G recipe uh, ingredient. She got ginger instead of garlic. Ginger is not the same thing as garlic. One's sweet, one's a, uh, you know, they're both, we like both of them. I love gingerbread, I love ginger, and I love garlic. But they're different. And it's important sometimes to get the right ingredient, okay? So we need to sometimes know the difference between, and there's different kinds of baptisms, okay? And, there's, and they're all different. So we're talking about the baptism of body Christ. So we'll start this one off. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we'll start with verse 12. For the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that, of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Let me read that phrase again from verse 13. By one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member but many. I want to re again rephrase, I want to reread the beginning of verse 13. For by one spirit capital S, we were all baptized into one body. That's the key verse for this, this, this is, uh, baptism in, into the body of Christ. By one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. One body, many members. Okay? We were baptized by who? The Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the baptism. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna be adopting something from Dwayne Sheriff. Dwayne Sheriff is a pastor that we like. He he teaches a lot of our Bible classes that we have here. But I, I'm gonna steal some notes from him on this for all three of these. And so I'm gonna make a little list for this. We're talking about the baptism into the body of Christ. And I'm gonna make this little list for all three of them. And I have it on the screen here. But it says there's a baptizer for all three of these baptisms we're going to be going about. There's a baptizer, there's a subject, and there's an element. For the baptism to the, in the body of Christ, the baptizer is the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 13. Who's, who's the subject? Believers. We are all. He's talking to believers. He's talking to the church in Corinth. He's talking to believers. He's talking to us. What's the element? Into the body of Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. The body of who? The body of Christ. The body of Christ has many members. 
How many of you know you have one body? But that body has many members. You have a heart, you have a head, you have arms and legs. You, I mean, even, even though you have two hands, you have a right hand and a left hand. You have a right foot and a left foot. Okay? You have two kidneys. You have, a, you have, you have two lungs. Some things are similar, but there's a right one and a left one. There's two of them. You only have one brain. You know, there's some things you, you know, you have many members. I can go down the list, but I think you're getting my point. We have one body, but many members. We are the body of Christ. There's only one Christ. But we have many members within that body of Christ. And we are baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. See, this also fits in with the Holy Spirit as well. He's the baptizer here. And we're, we're baptized into the body of Christ. There's over 300 scriptures in the New Testament about talking about who we are in Christ. We are in Christ. We, and part of that being in Christ includes being part of the body of Christ. When you make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, when you make him your Lord of your life, when you hear the gospel and you believe on Jesus, <coughs> and you make him your Lord, excuse me, he, the Holy Spirit, baptizes you into the body of Christ. Okay? When you believe Jesus is the Messiah, and he died for your sins, and you acknowledge him as your Lord, the Holy Spirit takes you and emerges you, baptizes you, into the body of Christ. You can do this anywhere, at any time, uh, by the Holy Spirit. Okay? And there's one body. There's one universal body. <coughs> and the, the body of Christ is universal. It's worldwide. There is one body of Jesus, but there are also local churches. Local churches are microcosms of the one body. There's one body. We might have local local groups of fellowship, but there is one universal body of Christ. Each ch local church is not the body of Christ. It's part of the body of Christ. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, we are a part of the body of Christ. Now, I'm going to confuse some of you. I'm going to use a term here that you're like, I'm not that. The word Catholic. I didn't say Roman Catholic. I said Catholic. The word Catholic, by definition, it means universal. It it means uh, it means a person who believes. I'm sorry, a person who believes to the universal Christian Church. It it the word Catholic by definition. I'm not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. I'm not talking about their doctrine per se or whatnot. I'm talking about the word Catholic is universal. There is one body. Of Christ is universal. We are not members of the Roman Catholic Church. We are of the body of Christ universally. Okay? A Christian who's in Canada, a Christian who's in England, a Christian who's in uh, the Philippines is part of the body of Christ. Where we, it's universal. Okay? Ever since Martin Luther nailed that thesis door on the door, many have been protesting ever since. And we're, we're Protestants by name, but some of us need to stop protesting everything God has given us. 
And that's a whole other message in itself. I just kind of stole that from Dwayne Sheriff. I thought that was worth saying. If you didn't get that, then just let it go. But we have, there's one universal church. There's one body of Christ. And we are all members of that church. I, I get it. Some, you know, some, you know, there's different. I have different members in my body. And they all function a little differently. But it's one body. Okay? Um, you know, some, some, some churches, let's just talk about worship for just a second. Some people like different styles of worship music. I'm okay as long as it's praising Him. As long as the doctrine in the music is okay. I have my preferences of style, but some people have different styles. I'm okay with different styles. I'm not okay with lyrics that are wrong doctrine, if that makes sense. Okay? But there's one body. You know, uh, you know, we all have different tastes. We all have different tastes for food. We all have different tastes for... Uh, you're all going to decorate your homes differently. You're all going to dress differently. Uh, we have different styles, and I think that's the beauty of it. As long as it's, to me, tasteful, <laughs> modest, and whatnot. Um, anyway, there's, there's a lot here I can piggyback on. I'm going to let some of that go. Um, let me just say this. Sin is the same everywhere. And people are hurting everywhere. And the answer to everyone's problems whether they are in Canada, Africa, or whatever, even if they're on the moon. The answer to everyone's problem is Jesus. Wherever they are. Sin is everywhere. Sin, people are hurting everywhere. And everybody needs Jesus. Okay? Jesus Christ, the cross, is the answer to everyone's problems. If you have believed on Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, you have been baptized into the body of Christ. You have been baptized into the church of Christ, into the church of God. I'm not talking about denominations. I'm talking about one body universally. Okay? He's the, the Holy Spirit is the baptizer. We are the subject, and the element is the body of Christ. What does that look like? What does it look like to be baptized into the body of Christ? I'm going to list a couple things here. The first thing is family. The body of Christ should look like a family. Real quickly, I'm going to go to uh, two scriptures real quick, just to, to zero this in. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 is my first one. Ephesians 3, 15. I'm going to read these two verses rather quickly because I want to move forward. Um, Ephesians 3, 15. And it says, and Paul's praying a prayer here. In the midst of his prayer, he says, From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. When you are baptized into the body of Christ, you are baptized, you are emerged into a family. And it's a family by whom the family in heaven and earth is named. That's awesome. I don't know if you get that, but it looks like a family. And the other scripture I want to go to real quickly, I know some of you probably just got there, but it's Galatians 6, 11. And in Galatians chapter 6, Paul's talking about how, how we are to restore one another. How many of you know we all mess up? And some of us mess up worse than others at times. But it's our job as a family to restore one another gently. And that's what he's talking about here. And he gets to verse 11. He says, see what... Uh, I'm sorry. That's not the verse I'm looking for. 
for like uh, Star Wars. These are not the droids I'm looking for. Uh, verse 10, I think it is. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I think the NIV, uh, one of the translations says, of the family of God. We are family. Now let me just talk about family real quick. You know, at times, there are issues with families. Maybe you don't have them. Maybe you do have them. I don't know. But sometimes some family... Well, I've been, we've been pastors for many years. And sometimes we get called to counsel. And we get called to counsel in the middle of a family feud. <laughs> I'm not talking about the game show. I'm talking about a real family feud. Sometimes it's a marriage conflict. Sometimes it's other things. Sometimes it's a, a parent-child conflict. But at times there are issues with family. And sometimes there are issues... In the family of God. I'm not saying these are right. I'm not saying these are good. But sometimes family members rub each other wrong. Sometimes siblings are, you know, siblings. You know? They tease each other. They aggravate each other. But they are still family. They are still a part of us. And we as a family... Just like whether it be a natural family or the spiritual family, we walk with one another and we work out issues. That's what families do. We have to learn how to relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. I could spend hours talking about this. The New Testament has a lot to talk about how we are to get along with one another in the family of God. The Bible has hundreds of scriptures on this. I'm not, that's not the scope of my message here. But, but I, as I talk about what does being baptized into the body of Christ look like, one of the attributes is the family. You have just been emerged into a family, an eternal family. Your natural family is natural, but your, the family of God is eternal. Okay? What's another thing? In addition to family, what does it look like? A new identity. You are identified not only with Christ, in his kingdom, but you are also identified with his body. You have a new identity. I'm part of the body of Christ, universally speaking. Hopefully that makes sense. Here's another one for you. Not only are you part of a family, not only you have a new identity, but what does the body of Christ look like? It's friendly. It should be. I understand there are not some friendly people out there. You know? It's hospitable. That's another one. The family, the family should be hospitable. The family of God should be hospitable. Here's another one, and this is my favorite. We'll spend a little more time on this when we talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit. It represents someone who loves Jesus. Being part of the family, it should be a part of If you are the body of Christ, the operative word, our phrase, of Christ then the body of Christ should love Christ. I mean, you love your own body. Some of us, I mean, we're trying to fix it in the manner. We're trying to do other things. I understand sometimes we have issues with that. But we love yourself. I've never met one human that's not selfish to some degree or another. We're all selfish. We were selfish when we were two. You know, some of you sometimes have a hard time swallowing that pill. Kind of proves my point. <laughs> Here's another one. Joy. 
There should be joy in the body of Christ. We have something to be joyful about. We as a body, as individuals, but also collectively, we are missing our devil's hell and we part of the kingdom of God. There's something to shout about. I mean, if, if that doesn't make you joyful, then your wood is wet. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it just, it, you, there's something that you have not got a revelation of who you are in Christ. If that doesn't make you happy. Another th thing about the body of Christ is it should be a place where we're growing and we're maturing. How do you know that growing and maturing is a process? It's not a, it, it doesn't happen overnight. You didn't, jump, you didn't jump from 20 to 22 overnight. There were 20 something years to mature and some of us at 20 are still not mature. Some of us at 40, 50, 60, 80 are still not mature. Okay, but it's a pro. The, the, the process, the the home, the family should be an environment where we learn to grow, where we learn to mature together, through the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm not magnifying, and I'm not saying the bad and the ugly is good, but families work together. Families are supposed to to to, to forgive and to 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 work it out and grow together. Okay? Let me just say this. All right, different there. Being baptized into the family of God, uh, being baptized into the body of Christ is a one-time baptism. You are forever stuck with each other. <laughs> Eternally speaking. You may fall. You may really mess up. But we are to restore one another. We are to bear, bear with one another. Scripture Paul talks about many times. And we are to do good to all people, especially to those who are the family of God. You don't get rebaptized into the body of Christ again and again and again. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who's not working us to do well, doing good, good, good pleasure. The God who is in you, the, the Christ who you are, the body of Christ that you are emerging to. God who's in you is out working out your own salvation. This salvation needs to be worked out. And it's God who is in you who is working it out. But that means you need to learn how to how to get along. If you get a new puppy or a new kitten or even a new horse, you're gonna break that horse. You're gonna you're gonna teach who's pack leader, you're gonna teach it how to how the the rules and the of the land and how things work. You're not just gonna let that horse, that dog or whatever, or even that chicken to rule the house. You're going to you're going there's a pecking order, there's a pack leader, there's there's rules, there's training involved. Training is not overnight. Training is a process. Growing and maturing is a process. And we are families for life. You are submerged into the body of Christ. And we are still growing in how, how that looks. And, there, and with growing, let me just say this, there's growing pains. Have you ever had it? I don't know if any of you have them when you were growing up, but there's sometimes growing pains. You know where I usually had most of my growing pains were in my shins. So right, that's where, where a lot of mine were. But sometimes there's growing pains, okay? I can talk a lot more about this. This is not the scope of my message talking about the body of Christ, but that's one of the baptisms. When you are born again, when you believe on Jesus, you are immediately baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. Let's talk about the second baptism. 
Let's talk about water baptism. As a church, God has called as a church, God has called us to do some things. Let's go to two scriptures. We're going to talk about the Great Commission briefly. First one, let's go to Mark, Mark's version of the, of the Great Commission, and then we'll go to Matthew. Mark 16, we'll start with verse 15. Mark 16. This is after the cross. This is after Jesus went to the cross. He was buried. He was resurrected. <clears throat> and he's talking to his disciples. And he says in Mark 16, the last chapter of Mark, he says, And he, he, Jesus, said to them, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Every creature is supposed to be hearing this gospel. Okay? And he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Okay. Jesus is telling us, go to all the world, preach to, to preach means to proclaim the gospel to everyone. God loves you. Jesus died for you. He paid the penalty. All you have to do is accept the payment. And he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Let's go to Matthew real quick. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. I'm sorry for rushing some of this a little bit because my, my scope of my message is going to be talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I do want to make reference to some of these things. Matthew 28. And Jesus came and spoke to them, again, the disciples, after the cross, after the resurrection, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. He didn't say, Go make converts. He said, Go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. See, the whole Trinity is involved. The whole God has involved. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. Water baptism. Okay? Go to all the nations, teaching them, making disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, some things are sacred in the church. And we call, there's a couple things that we call sacraments in the church. Communion is one of those things. But water baptism is also a sacrament in the church. But let me say this. Let me say this about water baptism. Some of you may not understand. Water baptism does not save you. The Holy Spirit baptizing you into the body of Christ, that is your salvation. The first baptism we just talked about, that happens at salvation. When you believe on Jesus and you are saved, you are immediately by the Holy Spirit baptized into the body of Christ. That's your salvation. Water baptism does not save you. But if you are in Christ, crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, raised together with Christ. Water baptism is your faith obedience to the Lord. How many of you know Jesus did not get baptized by John to wash away his sins? I want to say that again. Remember the water baptism of John? How many of you know Jesus was sinless? 
Jesus did not get water baptized. See, some people think that water baptism washes away your sins. Well, Jesus got baptized, and none of his, he didn't have sins to be washed away. Okay? Jesus did not get baptized to wash away his sins. Jesus did not get baptized to become saved. Not to wash away his sins. But he got baptized in obedience to the Father. And we get baptized in obedience to the Father. To Jesus. As he gives instructions. Jesus was also baptized for our example. That we should do likewise. Go with me real quick to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. This is Pentecost. We'll be talking about that in about three, uh, a week after next. Peter's preaching. He's already been baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's preaching in verse 38. And see, uh, even before verse 38, people, Peter's been preaching the gospel, and people are responding. People are, people are believing what Peter's preaching. Peter's preaching the gospel, and they're responding, and they're basically asking, what do we do to be saved? They're asking, how do we get saved? They heard the gospel, what do we do? And then Peter said to them, <coughs> repent, the metatonia means to change your mind, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thousands responded to the gospel. 3,000 people were responding to the, the gospel that Peter was, was preaching. He says, be baptized into the name of Jesus. Look at this little word, F-O-R-E. F-O-R. For. That word for in the Greek means because of. Sometimes we miss something. Sometimes the translation does a disservice. But it says, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. That word for in the Greek means because of. The better way of saying that verse is be baptized in the name of Jesus because of the remission of your sins. Okay? Let's go to another one. Let me bring this out into a couple different scriptures, okay? You might not believe it there, but let's go to some of these other ones. Let's go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, we're doing the ministry of Philip. How many of you know Philip was not an apostle? Philip was a deacon. Some people think that only apostles can baptize. Well, Philip didn't know that. Philip was a deacon. In order to be a deacon, they had to have the Holy Spirit. That was one of the qualifications. We see that in Acts chapter 6. We'll deal with that later. <coughs> but uh, Philip's preaching to Samaria. And it says, But when they, the Samarians, believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both man and woman were baptized. <clears throat> I like that. It says, When they believed. That's the key ingredient. When they believed. They believed first. 
and were water baptized later. Philip is preaching from Samaria. He's sharing about Jesus. There, and then they accepted the word that he preached to them, and he baptized them. Uh, scroll down to verse 36. Philip, same deacon, is ministering to an Ethiopian eunuch. That's the whole story, how he even got there. This Ethiopian eunuch who was attending one of the feasts, and we'll talk about those feasts in a couple weeks, and he's heading back to Ethiopia, and he's reading from the book of Isaiah, and then Philip, verse 35, let's start with there, 835, then Philip opened his mouth and be beginning up, uh, actually, let's back up a little bit. Let's start verse 34. So the eunuch asked, uh, oh, wait, uh, um, actually, I don't want to read all that context for time. But anyway, uh, just hear, hear me out for a moment. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading from the book of Isaiah. He's not understanding what he's reading. And Philip, Philip is asking him, do you understand what you're reading? And the, the Ethiopian eunuch says, how can I understand unless someone teaches it to me? Okay? And then verse 36 is where I wanted to pick it up. And verse 35, we'll start there. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at this scripture in Isaiah and preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? What hinders me from being baptized? That was the question. What, how would he, how would this, the, again, this Ethiopian is reading from Isaiah. He doesn't understand it. So Philip begins to, to teach it to him so he does understand it. And then the Ethiopian eunuch, his response is, Here's water, let me be baptized. Why would the Ethiopian eunuch ever want to be baptized if Philip hadn't already explained it? And the gospel to him. Philip explains it to him. And he asked, what hinders me from being baptized? Why would he have asked if Philip had not taught him? But then I like this. I like, I like this. Verse 37. Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. The, the Ethiopian eunuch is saying, what hinders me from being baptized? And the only qualification for being baptized is in verse 37. If you believe with all your heart, you may. That's the qualification. That was the qualification in Samaria. That was the qualification with Peter. They believed and were baptized. We can go to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. I'm not going to turn there. But Peter's preaching to the, the Gentiles, which was totally new to Peter. He was a little out of his comfort zone. He starts preaching the gospel. They get filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about next. And then Peter's like, well, if they're filled with the Holy Spirit, what hinder they, they obviously believe, so let's, let's water baptize them. Let me just say this. We, Sherry and I, are this church at Lighthouse and San Francisco Center, we will not deny anyone water baptism if they believe on Jesus. That's a qualifier. I want to hear, I don't want to hear them reciting something. I want to hear from their own heart, from their own lips, that they believe on Jesus. That's the only qualification. But some people might argue back, 
But they have sin in their life. They are not living right. As if they are the right uh, prime example. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you believe the gospel, if you believe on Jesus, you can be water baptized. And I like it, verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stop, stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went, went down into the water, and he baptized them. And now when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught him and fell away. Now that's a whole other miracle. It's a sign, it's a wonder, uh, how Philip got transported. You know, I would, I would really like to try that out one day, get transported like Philip. But that's another message for another time. Let me just, uh, let me recap some things here on the screen. Water baptism. The baptizer is a pastor or the leader. In this case, it was Philip. Peter, it was with Peter. Um, uh, we have some other cases where it was other, other places, with other people. Who's the pastor? Who's the subject? The believers. Same, same subject. What's the element? Water. Okay. You know, one reason I like about Philip, Philip was not a pastor. Philip was not an apostle. Philip was just a deacon. And I'm not trying to minimize it, uh, deacon versus pastor. That's not my point. My point I'm bringing out is some people think that only the pastor can baptize. Well, Philip wasn't one. Philip wasn't an apostle. We are all able ministers in the New Covenant. Pastors have their job that other people can't do. Apostles have their job that other people can't do. But we can all, as leaders, baptize someone into uh, water. Okay? That's the, way I, that's the way I see it and teach it. Water baptism, let me talk a little more about water baptism. Water baptism is a symbolic of washing away of sin. Water baptism itself does not wash away your sins. Jesus does. But water baptism is an outward expression. It's symbolic of our sins being washed out. We were, how many of you know, Paul in the book of Romans chapter 6, I talk about how we were crucified with Christ, we were buried with Christ, and we were raised together with Christ. All that took place at the first baptism that we talked about, being baptized in the body of Christ. You were crucified with Christ, you were buried with Christ, you were raised together with Christ. Water baptism is just an outward expression when already took place in the heart. So what does it look like? What does water baptism look like? It looks like a death, burial, and resurrection. That is the whole symbolism of water baptism. If you don't believe in your heart, then you should, that, that, that the only qualifier is that you have to believe the gospel. You have to believe Jesus. And if you believe Jesus, you are a candidate. You can receive water baptism. And just like the Ethiopian, you, can, you see a body of water. What hinders me from being baptized? And all Philip says you need, all you need to do is believe. And, and, and the Ethiopian said he believed. And now it doesn't say those words if you're looking for that in the, that context. But he believed. Okay? Water baptism is a public profession of our faith. It's a celebration service. It's not a funeral service. 
Okay? You can get saved all by yourself at any time, anywhere, by believing on Jesus. That's what the first baptism that we talked about. But then you need to publicly profess your faith. And that is why we baptize you in water. You, through water baptism, you are saying to the world, I am buried, I bury my old life, and I'm dying to the world. I am now in Christ. And when we come out of the water, symbolically speaking, we, are, we have a new life, and we are part of a new kingdom. Water baptism illustrates the death of the old man and the resurrection of the new man. And just like being baptized into the body of Christ was one time, being water baptized is a one-time event. Okay? Now, let me just bring out some points for a moment. Again, the word baptismo means to emerge. It means to emerge. It doesn't mean to sprinkle. You can't immerse someone by sprinkling water on them. If you're going to immerse someone by sprinkling water on them, you're going to have, it's going to take a long time. <laughs> Are you following me? That's going to take a long time to get someone totally immersed in water by sprinkling. I mean, you're going to have to sprinkle until they're immersed. That's going to take a long time. There's a faster way of doing this, okay? Now, some people think that they have to be water baptized when they change churches. Well, we just established in the first baptism that we are baptized into the body of Christ, and which is a universal Catholic church. I'm not talking about, again, the Roman Catholic church, but you don't need to be baptized from going from this church to that church. There is nothing in Scripture that, that, that indicates that. They were baptized once. They were not sprinkled. They also were not baptized as children. Now, some people disagree with me on that. You have to believe. And unless a child can understand the gospel, believe the gospel, water baptism doesn't do any good. Okay? But you need to believe. And so, um, you need to believe the God. That, that the only qualifier that being water baptized is that you need to believe. And if you believe, you're already baptized into the body of Christ. You're already saved. Water baptism is just a ceremony, an outward expression, a proclamation of what has already taken place. And a child who doesn't understand the gospel can't be water baptized. Why? Because the, 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 there's only one qualifier. They have to believe the gospel. <clears throat> the parents can't believe it for them. And I'm not talking about so much a child. I'm talking more about an infant. An infant can't believe. An infant can't reason. An infant can't make a decision like that. Now, I'm not saying a child can't. At a, at a, once they can understand. I mean, a, a child can understand how to use a phone. Uh, and all these, all, I mean, a lot, a lot of children, young age children, know how to use some of the technolo technology we have more than some of us grown adults know how to use it. And if they can understand how to use technology, they can hear the gospel, believe the gospel, be saved, and be water baptized. That makes sense? What am I looking for? They, hit, they know, they understand the gospel, and they believe it. That's what I'm looking for. So there's not an age, per se, but an infant, a toddler, can't understand all that. Okay? And, and I understand there's some wise toddlers, so I'm not painting every toddler with that brush. 
but water baptism is an act of faith. It's not an act of law. It's not an act of legalism. Water baptism does not baptize you into a local church. Your, your faith in Jesus Christ baptizes you into the universal church of Jesus Christ. It's a public profession of your faith, and it's a one-time thing. You don't need to be baptized again and again and again and again. And we are growing in our knowledge, and we want to glorify God everything we do. Okay? Hopefully I'm making sense with some of this. Now let's go on to the third one, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Let's start off by going to Acts chapter 1. We're not going to finish this part of the study today, but I do want to get hopefully get to a certain point uh, before we're all done. Okay? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is really where I want to get to, and we're going to spend this week and next week on. And uh, I'm not going to necessarily read all this, but actually, yeah, I'll start with verse 4. But in Acts chapter 1, Jesus had already raised from the dead. And in this, we, uh, we, can, we can see, and actually we'll start at verse 3. Actually, we'll just go ahead and start with verse 2. <laughs> Sorry, there's just a lot of context here. And it, we'll start verse 2, Acts chapter 1, verse 2. Until the day in which he, has taken, he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive, after suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus has spent 40 days after his resurrection, 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God to his disciples and others. And being assembled, verse 4, together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. In other words, he's already told them about this, but he's telling them again. For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 5 is key for getting into the subject about baptism and the Holy Spirit. First, let's break up uh, verse 5 into two parts. The first part. For John... John is a leader. I know this is Old Testament. I already established that. But John's a leader. And he's baptizing people into water. See the water baptism? It's, it's, it's still on the screen. I know this is Old Testament, but it's still the same principle here. Okay? But then the last part of the verse. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Not many Days from now. And so here we have, and we're going to look at this some more in a minute, but the baptizer is Jesus. The subject is again believers. And the element is the Holy Spirit. John baptized you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus said, I already told you about this. I promised this would come. And I'm reminding you, it's not going to come many days from now. Now, we know it's going to be ten more days. For us, it's already come. You should be baptized with the Holy Spirit. John, 
let's, let's, uh, well, let's, let's go to Mark real quick. We'll see this a little more clear. Mark chapter 1. We'll start at verse 6. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, as John the Baptist, a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. I'm so glad we have a better diet. And he preached, saying, There comes one, capital O, with me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I, John, indeed baptized you with water. That's the baptism of water baptism. With the water. But he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This one's a little more clear. Okay? The first part of the verse, I, John, baptize you with water. But he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Again, the baptizer is Jesus. The subject is the believers. And the element is the Holy Spirit. You got all three of these aspects with all three of these baptisms. You have to ask yourself, who's baptizing and with what? Who's baptizing who and with what? In all three cases, it's a believer who's being baptized. But all three have a different baptizer. All three have a different element. Okay? I think, I like this. Like I said, I, I stole this from Dwayne Sheriff. And... And even Andrew believes if you still up twice, two or three times, it's yours <laughs> regarding teaching. But I'm not so worried about that. I think this just helps uh, clarify how these are taking place. See, um, there's different baptisms, and each have a similar meaning. Again, we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be talking about this over the next few days. Or a couple weeks. But Jesus is Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. Not me, not you. But Jesus is. <coughs> this is the reason why the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit because they have not received Jesus. I want to say that again. And what I just said is very profound. The world cannot receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit because they have not received Jesus. You have to receive Jesus. So Jesus, the baptizer, can baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We're going to see this even more clearly when we go, uh, we'll talk about Pentecost in a couple of weeks. We're going to be talking about the, the Feast of Weeks. And the Feast of Weeks is the difference in the Passover. There's, there's three different feasts that they, uh, they, they use in, in Scripture. and give you just a sneak preview right now. And one of those has to do with Passover, which has to do with the cross. And the other one is the Feast of Weeks, which has to do with Pentecost. And there's another one that we'll be going over as well. The Feast of Tabernacles is another one. And so, um, anyway, the reason why the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit is because they have not received Jesus. Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. Now that you are saved, baptized in the body of Christ, following him in obedience, many have received the, the water baptized in Jesus' Lord. You can now receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, am I saying that you have, can't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit until you've been water baptized? No, because Cornelius and his household didn't. But the normal, if you read the book of Acts, you have several stories. 
And they all heard the gospel, believed the gospel. That means they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, in the body of Christ. They were water baptized, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. All three baptisms took place, and some of them happened simultaneously. Some of them happened right away. Some of them happened, but the, the being baptized in the body of Christ has to happen first. And that happens by the Holy, the Holy Spirit as a baptizer into the body of Christ. Water baptism can happen at any time, but the, uh, you have to be baptized into the body of Christ before you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're two distinct different things. And some people have received them almost simultaneously. Throughout the book of Acts, sometimes you see these happen simultaneously. But you have to receive Jesus to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay? And I know some people have a hard time understanding that. Uh, but it is. So let me I, I ask this question where all the other two baptisms. What does it look like? What does it look like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? What does it look like to be a spirit-filled Christian? What does it look like to be a spirit-filled church? There are many different opinions on this, but I, and I'm not going to list all of them, but I'm going to list, list several. And there's not just one. The first one that I want to list is, what does it look like, is the supernatural. Those who are carnal, carnal is just a fancy word for natural. Those who are live naturally, those who live carnally, your entire week are, many, uh, let me rephrase that. Many people who live carnally or naturally all week long are uncomfortable with the supernatural. Most of us, and I'm not saying this to get on anybody's case, but most of us live naturally all week long. That means we're living carnally. Because that's what, what, that's what carnal means. And then we are uncomfortable when the supernatural. We should actually be uncomfortable when the supernatural is not happening. Yet, Because the natural is where most of us live 90% of our time. But we need to live supernaturally. The idea of expecting the unexpected makes some people uncomfortable. When you have never seen a miracle, and then a miracle happens, some people have, uh, just, I mean, some people, are, a lot of people are wowed by that, but some people are just uncomfortable. We should be perplexed if we don't see a miracle. I believe in the miracle working God. I believe in the supernatural. And being baptized in the Holy Spirit can enable us to live, not just experience, even though we can experience it, but to live supernaturally. Andrew Womack teaches if you're not living supernaturally, then you are living superficially. If you're not being led by the Spirit of God, then you're being led by somebody or something. Either the flesh the devil, or, and there's really not many, many other people, but that's still an offshoot of the flesh. I want to be led by the Spirit of God. Israel was led by the pillar of cloud by day and the spirit of pillar of fire by night. I want to be led. I want to live. I want to emerge. I'm immersed into the Holy Spirit. It's not just a one-time thing. It's a place where I am the temple 
of the Holy Spirit. Where, and I started this whole series talking about how this fire came from heaven and lit the burnt offering in Leviticus chapter 9 and 2 Chronicles chapter 5 to 7. And how he, 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 in Acts chapter 2, God has lit his church again. God has redeemed, he has sanctified by the blood of Jesus. And now he has filled this un, that was unholy, but now it's a holy, sanctified vessel with, with the Holy Spirit. So now we can not just visit on Sunday or Wednesday or whenever we come together, but we can live in the realm of the Holy Spirit, baptize, emerge, and live supernaturally from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from grace to grace, every day, every moment, even in our sleep. We can live in the Holy Spirit. The V is an empowerment to live supernaturally. Consistently, if we want to. Here's another thing. Supernatural is just one aspect. But what does it look like? I think being baptized in the Holy Spirit looks like passion. A passion for Jesus. A passion for other people. A passion to preach the gospel. A passion. There's just a passion. There's a fire. There's a zeal. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a resolve in your heart that you want Yet you love Jesus and you love people. There's a resolve. And that, where's the source of that? It's not your flesh. It's the Holy Spirit who's in you. Jesus constantly moved with compassion and fed the multitudes and healed the sick and preached the gospel. Jesus was led. He didn't do anything he didn't see the Father do, but he was led by compassion. Passion and passion. I think there's a passion. There's a passion that the, the apostles had that we could have. There's a passion that caused Philip to chase a chariot and preach the gospel to him. Okay? Here's another, here, here's another aspect. What does it look like? I think being spirit filled looks like someone who's thankful. It's it's better than being around people who are just murmuring, complaining, belly aching, and being critical about everything. I believe there's someone, someone who's been filled with the Holy Spirit. They are just thankful. They're not thankful about everything, but in everything they give thanks. I'm not thankful for all the problems. I'm not thankful for some of the things happening in our country, but even in it, I am thankful I have a God who's and where does a source? Where does the source of that thankfulness come from? It doesn't come from my flesh because my flesh may be murmuring, complaining, belly aching, and being critical. But I believe someone who's being whose source is the Holy Spirit, who's emerged into the Holy Spirit, is someone who is thankful, like a Cory Timboon, despite what's going on around him. Uh, I want to piggyback on this idea of thankfulness real quick. And go to with me in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm almost out of time here. I'm not going to be able to finish what I wanted to do, but I, I at least opened the door. Ephesians 5, 18 to 19. Paul is occurring to the church in Ephesus and says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is in which is dispensation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to 
teaching one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 18, is speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the Spirit of Christian. Let me just list some more things as I'm wrapping this up for the day. But what does it look like to be spirit-filled? I believe it goes with what I just said. It's joy unspeakable. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. Not, you're not filled with, drunk, with wine. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. And there is joy because the fruit of the Spirit is joy unspeakable. We'll spend more time on this later, but what does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means operating spiritual gifts or supernatural gifts. We'll see this in 1 Corinthians 12. We'll talk about this later. What does it look like to be spirit-filled? It means serving gifts. It means serving, operating serving gifts that we see in Romans 12. What does it mean to be, to be spirit-filled? It means operating ministry gifts that we see in Ephesians 4. Now, Ephesians 4 does talk about those who are apostles, pastors, teachers, etc. I know I'm not doing those in order, but I don't know about you, but I, want, I don't want to sit under a pastor who is not emerged into the Holy Spirit. I don't want to hear a prophet, a missionary, a pastor a, who is speaking out of the carnal, out of the flesh. I want to hear a pastor, I want to hear a minister who is speaking by the Spirit of God. We need our ministers to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, Acts 6, 3, when they picked the deacons, when they picked Stephen and Philip, among others, they had one of the, there was three qualifications, one of the qualifications, they had to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about this later, but what, what does it mean to, to have the Holy Spirit and be Spirit-filled? It means we have a private prayer language, as we see in 1 Corinthians 14. Talking about speaking in tongues, private prayer language. This is my favorite one, so turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5. Verse 5. Romans 5, verse 5. This is my favorite one. Now hope does not disappoint. How many of you know a lot of people are disappointed right now in our country because of things going on in in our country. But, because, but hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. If, G, if we are emerged into Jesus, if Jesus has submerged us, immersed us into the Holy Spirit, the effect of our whole being, then, then what does it look like? It looks like love. Because His love has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Go with me real quick to Romans 13. Romans 13. I can use a lot of scriptures for this point, but I, I'm just bringing out a few. It's 
scroll down to verse 8. Romans 13, verse 8. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. You don't, love, you don't owe anybody anything but to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments you shall for the commandments you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this same naming, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. Love works no ill towards his neighbor. Love doesn't hurt anybody. I understand sometimes we hurt people. I'm not saying that's right. But there's a difference between hurting someone accidentally and hurting someone maliciously on purpose. There's a difference. Both are wrong. But there's something different when someone intentionally, out of hatred, out of spite, maliciously, endangers and hurts and brings ill to someone. These are some other aspects of love that, that spring from the same stem of what does it look like? And it looks like love. Love? What does it look like to be spirit-filled? It looks like someone who's forgiving. I mean, it talks about this in Ephesians 4. We grieve, <coughs> we grieve the Holy Spirit when we don't forgive one another. And we treat one another wrong. That grieves the Holy Spirit. Because of, anyway, I can go off that. What does it mean to, what does it mean to be spirit-filled? It means to be long-suffering. The fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. It's patience. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means to be full of mercy, to be full of grace. Let me just end, uh, let me end with this one real quick. Go with me to Romans 14. We'll close with this scripture. As we're turning here, before we read it, I want to say something, though. Remember back in Acts chapter 1. You don't have to turn there. We're going to Romans 14, 17. That's where we're going. But in, in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus had resurrected, he spent 40 days talking about the kingdom of God. Remember that? It was even in that context. And Cyprus asked, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of God? Are you going to establish a kingdom? He just spent 40 days talking about the kingdom. I don't know about you, but that was one uh, sermon I would like to have on DVD. <laughs> Him talking 40 days, Jesus. After the resurrection... Just before he's being ascended, Jesus spent 40 days talking about the kingdom. But verse Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We're talking about knowing the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is what? It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if I'm baptized with the Holy Spirit, what does it look like? It looks like someone who is living righteously, doing right, always having peace and always having joy. It's righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Some of the meanest people on the planet are those who are religious and legalistic, 
without the Holy Spirit. I have met some religious people who are legalistic, and they are legalistic and religious, and they are some of the meanest people on the planet. Look at Jesus' day. These religious leaders, they were some of the meanest people. And they got, they got, they, some, of the, some of the messages that Jesus preached to them were some of the harshest messages. He did it with love. But he, 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 some of his hardest messages were to religious, legalistic people. They're some of the meanest people on the planet. I mean, I have seen, we, we've ministered to people who wanted to commit suicide because they, they came in contact with some of these people under some of their teachings. They thought they'd commit the, the, uh, the, 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 the unforgivable, un, unpardonable sin because of they were wearing, because of their makeup or dress or the way they did their hair. People thought they weren't saved because of how they did their hair. The quote, Andrew, how, could, how dumb can you be and still live? That is just sick. We need the Holy Spirit to be loving to one another and to treat one another with respect and, and with peace and joy. We need to understand, maybe, maybe you know, we just need, we need, we need the Holy Spirit, but we also need to be taught of who we are in the Holy Spirit. Um, anyway, I'm just, I'm just giving over some notes one more time. Let me just recap some things. Let me go back real quick. So I'm going to end on this note. Being baptized into the body of Christ is the baptizer is the Holy Spirit. You hear the gospel, believe the gospel. The Holy Spirit immediately baptizes you as a believer into the body of Christ. Okay? Water baptism can be done by any pastor or leader who believes what? The gospel. Who believes Christ. Believes on Jesus. They're not believing the pastor. I hope they never believe what the pastor says. But they're believing on Jesus. And that the pastor and the leader will baptize them into water. But in the baptism of the Holy Spirit is baptized with those are baptized by Jesus. And the Jesus believes baptized believers into the Holy Spirit. We're not done talking about this little one. I'm going to spend a whole section next week talking more. I just gave some little uh, blurbs today to open it up. I I, no way I can combine it all in one, one session. Even next week's still going to be a condensed version of what I, what I could talk about. There's a lot that we have in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said it's more expedient that I go that you receive this baptism. Of the Holy Spirit. We are immersed into it. Not sprinkled into it. We don't have a, just a sprinkling of the Holy Spirit. We are immersed into it. That's awesome. We can swim in this thing. <coughs> okay? Alright? Uh, anyway, there's more I can say about this. Lord, we worship you. We magnify you. Lord, I don't know if we all understand everything I just tried to teach this morning. But in the Holy Spirit, you said you were the teacher. Teach us who you are. Teach us what it means to be baptized into you. Teach us what it means to operate in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to love one another <coughs> and to treat one another like family, especially a part of the family of God. Well, we worship you. We magnify you. We pray for our country with all the chaos, with all the 
evil and wickedness that has been done in our country. Our trust is not in government. Our trust is in you. We trust you. We trust you. And we trust you alone. Holy Spirit, we need you in these last days. We need you. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for the great revival that's coming in our country, in our world. And people can come to the family of God <coughs> and be baptized into the Holy Spirit. So they can have what we have. But Lord, help us, Holy Spirit, help us to operate in the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that we can bring people into the kingdom. Because no one comes to the Father unless you, Holy Spirit, draw them. But may we be vessels of honor that you, Holy Spirit, use to bring people into the kingdom of God. Not scare them away. Not drive them away. Not ostracize them because of how their hair is cut or how, uh, how long their dress is or whatever the case may be. But we can bring people into the family of God. Treat them like family. And then empower them to go out and be the family and the people of God. Lord, we worship you, we magnify you, we say thank you for this gift of the Holy Spirit. Teach us to know you, teach us to walk with you, teach us to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not just on Sundays, not just when we gather, but may we learn to walk, may we learn to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock as we talk about the true nature of God. Amen. God bless you.